0: Through the fathomless depths of space swims the star turtle, the great Atuin. And on its back are four nerds trying to figure out just what it is that makes Sir Terry Pratchett's work both timely and timeless. So crank up your portable procrastinator, don't feed the elephant, and join us on our journey through Thief of Time and the complete discography. Good evening and welcome to the 26th episode of The Complete Discography. Tonight we're talking about Thief of Time, uh, first published in 2001, uh, and I'm pretty sure that I got the first run Harper Torch in 2002, flying home from college. This is firmly in the area of where I was reading as they were coming out, as opposed to catching up on them, which is kind of fun. And before we jump into the meat of the matter, uh, let's... Uh, introduce ourselves. Anna, you gonna take us away.
1: Sure, I'm Anna, and I'm the keeper of the stationery cupboard. Justin, I am Justin. As a and as it turns out, my
2: role in the apocalypse was edited out in the convocation of yikes in the year of the floating weasel.
0: I am Aaron, senior procrastinator, butter lubrication supervisor, and Shannon.
3: Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I am Shannon, recently deemed mother of the corn. Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself properly? Hello, I am Seanan McGuire. I write a lot of bullshit. No one has yet figured out how to make me stop, short of throwing me into a cornfield where I'm in my natural environment and thus a little bit less productive. But as I once set up a typewriter on a wooden platform in the middle of a haunted corn maze to write a novella, that doesn't even work for terribly long. (laughs) Uh, But I have been a big Discworld fan since I discovered it at about the age of 13. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get to know uh, Terry Pratchett while he was still with us. Miss him desperately. Um, And so Discworld has remained very, very important to me, even as some of the books have changed their relationship with me with time, shall we say. I think happens to all books uh, as somebody is alive to keep reading them and rereading them. You can't read the same book twice, no matter how hard you might try. Mm -hmm. What was your first Discworld book? Uh, I don't actually know how to answer that question Mm. because my first, technically my first Discworld book was The Color of Magic, which was foisted upon me by my high school boyfriend. And I despised it. It made It made very much sense in that horrible, this makes no sense whatsoever kind of way. It was almost inspirational because if this bullshit could get published, I could absolutely get published. But it was dry and boring and dragging. And even though people were already telling me that Terry Pratchett was this amazing author who had great female characters, Color of Magic, not so freaking much. It it read like someone was trying to do the Dragon Riders of Pern via Crack Magazine. Mm -hmm. And that did not super appeal. So I went, okay, well, this Discworld thing clearly is not for me. I'm going to go back to the high humor and uh, sophistication of Xanth. (laughs) And then I was on a road trip about a year later with a friend of mine who had brought small gods along. No soul music along to read as their road trip book, and it was on the seat between us, and I wasn't driving, and I was bored, so I picked it up and started reading, and about two hundred pages later, we were in Bakersfield, and he wanted his book back, and I wouldn't give it to him because I was a jerk. Uh, so <laughs> technically, my first disc world was color of magic. In reality, my first disc world was soul music.:
0: I'm right there with you, honestly. I was given a copy of Color of Magic," and I was like, "This is fine. And then I can't remember what my second book was, but I know at some point I got hooked. Um, mm-hmm. What was your reading order the first time
3: through? Uh, my reading order the first time through was I read the first one. I uh, was sorry. I read soul music, which is the first one for purposes of this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I read soul music and went, Oh my God, this is amazing. Oh wait, I think this is the guy who's guest of honor at bacon next <laughs> year. Maybe I should read some more of his stuff. Okay. I'll I'll do that and borrowed the rest of the series and even went back to The Color of Magic and just did it in order from there. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm.
0: I've, you know, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about doing this podcast is hearing everybody's order. Because like up until about this book, my order was, what does the library have on the shelf? You know, right. So really these sort of all over the place.
3: Up to a certain point, as I know you know, you can read Discworld in any order. Mm-hmm. Past a certain point, I feel like you start robbing yourself a little bit mm-hmm. if you do that. Yeah. You know, if you if you start with Nightwatch because you've been told you can go in any order and that's the one that you happen to hit, yes, it is a legible book. It makes sense. It stands together. You are going to lose so much of the emotional core of that book. And since you only get one first read, you're never going to get it back again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is uh this is Justin's first read through and we are about to hit Nightwatch and boy am I excited.
1: And we we oh, have yeah. forced them to start at The Color of Magic and work their way through.
2: Yeah. My w- we we started this whole thing because I had never read a uh no I, I had read one Pratchett book which was Good Omens and we we decided to do this and I I'm the newbie and my literally oh. my first thought for reading color of magic was wow the like the floor for getting published for a first novel has raced so much in 40 (laughs) years you know it's um i i think it took i think it was really it was equal rights that got me like really like okay i'm actually enjoying Uh this
3: and then and then and then more is where i got yes I, I do sometimes wonder how many girls, explicitly girls like me there were whose high school boyfriends tried to force them into Discworld and they wanted us to go in order. So they made us read those first books and then we just left.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. It's 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 rough. I'm
1: and the and the sad thing is that if you make it to book three, you're probably good. <laughs> you know, like equal rights is acceptable
3: at least yeah i will grant that equal rights is acceptable like i honestly it doesn't if a book is your favorite book or if the book is the book that works for you that is what matters Mm -hmm. just period but for me he didn't really figure out what the hell he was doing until mort Mm -hmm. and it didn't become what i can recognize as this is disc world until weird sister,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah, the witches really are I think one of the the most important components of of his discworld, speaking of though part of the other half of the conceit of this podcast is that Anna and I have not read uh Shepherd's Crown, and it this when we get there, that's going to be our first read of it, and i it's been on my shelf since it was published, and I have not
3: read it yet. I haven't read shepherd's crown either. I I can't, you know, I can't, I can't deal with it. There, there's a point that came for me about midway through snuff where you can see the language starting to not degrade exactly, but shift. And it, it's very much a sentence by sentence. You can't look at any specific sentence and say, this is a problem. But when you look at the aggregate whole, the recipe has changed. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. I and
3: agree. it's like watching a friend walk out of a room while they're still shouting a story back over their shoulder to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so snuff kind of broke my heart a little bit. And uh, Raising Steam did not put it back together. And I just don't think I can deal with Shepherd's Crown, not in a time of global trauma. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We- we've got another year and a half, so.
3: Hopefully, we're out of this stupid global trauma by then. I'm tired of it.
0: Yeah, same.
3: Yeah, there
2: was um, for for our B5 podcast. We had Kat Valente on, and she wrote a she and we talked to her about a massive uh-huh. novel she wrote. I did a lot of which, the virology for it. Ah.
1: I mean, <laughs> oh, fantastic!
2: Yeah, which we t- we talked we talked about that, and I was like, yeah, that
3: sounds great.
2: <laughs> I can't read it for the next five years. <laughs>
3: the same thing with your. <laughs> i i wrote a book several years ago uh called kingdom of needle and bone which is basically and yells at anti-vaxxers for 120 pages oh. mm-hmm. and it's it's not a very pleasant story i really enjoyed it at the time it was very cathartic for me i'm still very fond of it but i still get people going oh i just started kingdom of needle and bone i'm like Please, please unstart that. Rewind that in your head. Just go watch my cousin Vinny again instead. That will be better for your mental health.
1: Please, I cannot be
3: responsible for this. Yeah. Um, I have a book that we have technically sold, though I, for all I know it's going to be unsold by the time I actually get to it, uh, that we technically sold in 2019. And I was halfway through writing in 2020 when it became very clear how bad this was going to be. And COVID shut down the world. And my editor and I had to talk about, hey, that Mira Grant book you're working on. Maybe, maybe no. So we pushed it to 2022. We just had the call this morning to push it to 2024. Hmm. Oof. Wow. And it's not like there's going to be a scarcity of Seanan. I mean, I published way <laughs> too much. Yeah. But I I cannot deal with both composing... And editing a global pandemic right now, I can't. Mm. I
0: can't do it. I can't. I noticed that you have a Twitter project um, and maybe Tumblr too. The um, small gods is
1: yes, that inspired the
0: by the book or related to the the sort of the myth? The I don't know what the appropriate word would be. The the pantheon pantheon generation of uh, of this world.
3: I cannot say that it's not, but as far as I know, it isn't. Mm. So I, I didn't start Small Gods. Gotcha. Uh, Small Gods is a collaborative social media project between myself and Lee Moyer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lee does all the pictures. I do all of the stories and it's a micro fiction short story, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, each focusing on these small gods, which are deities that are not necessarily part of the big things. You're not going to have a small god of love, but you will have a small god of new relationship energy or a small god of polyamory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have the, the small gods just kind of, of winnow in. Today's small god was Jin, 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 the small god of bright, shiny objects. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't start the project, I cannot say for certain that uh, there was no inspiration. But as far as I'm aware, It's not really where we're coming from here. Now, even with that being said, uh, we did have a small God a while ago. Gosh, baskets. Um, We had a small God ages. So I'm sorry, anyone who's listening to this, if I'm stumbling or any of that, like so many of us in this wonderful modern age, I currently, as we are recording, have the COVID and thus my thoughts are both moving at six times their normal speed and not connecting to one another. It's kind <laughs> of great.
2: Don't worry. Aaron will make you sound Aaron will make you sound like a genius. I, it's not gonna take that much I, work. It, it, I get put through
3: this <laughs> podcast monthly. I genuinely feel like I have plugged myself into a Markov chainer. <laughs> like just stuff's coming out. I don't know what to do about it. But we did have a small god, um, the the hundredth small god who came out in 2021 which was the great one, small god of small gods. Mm. And that was just a turtle. And that was kind of us canonizing uh, Terry Pratchett. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Beautiful. You know, uh, without actually making him a god because he would not have liked that. So it's, you know, he was not always a tortoise. That form was set for him by one who believed that the divinity of man was intrinsic as much as external and that humanity was capable of glorious things when they thought themselves worthy of the effort. He likes it well enough. He liked the man who gave him this shape. He liked his books and his hat and the smell of chalk on green grassy hillsides. The man is gone. The great one remains. He thinks the man would have liked that best of all. He doesn't need us to believe in him. And that was the closest we could really come to making a small god, Terry Pratchett, without stepping on what Uncle Terry himself believed, you know, what he wanted out of the cosmos insofar as we can know what anyone really wants, what he expressed wanting. But we enjoy the small gods. They're fun.
1: They really are fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um before we jump over to the book I was just wondering you're you're the first person we've had on the podcast with a who's sort of a you know 2 degrees of Kevin Bacon away for us from uh Sir Terry himself is there any other uh, a story that you would be willing to share with us about your relationship with him or or just something you'd think that is interesting to tell
3: I mean he chucked me into a swimming pool once but I deserved it so <laughs> That's great. (laughs) I was 16. And I think the thing that is most commonly said about me by people who actually meet me that thought that I was some kind of social media exaggeration or putting on a role is, gosh, you're really a lot, aren't you? I was so much more when I was 16. I had no (laughs) chill whatsoever. I had been assigned as his gopher for the convention where we met. And uh, he just got tired of me at one point. I deserved it completely and I admitted that and you know we we got on quite well. I miss
1: him a lot. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I I also think it's um I love the fact that your first real Discworld book was a Susan book. Hmm. Um because here we are talking about a Susan book and Susan is absolutely one of my favorites in the entire uh in the entire series.
0: I'm just looking forward to when we get to Tiffany.
1: I do enjoy Tiffany, but I I always felt like Susan is
3: organic in some ways. Like she grows out of the places where the story has gone Mm. and she is allowed to become a completely different person based on her experiences. Tiffany was always very self-aware to me. Mm. Like he knew what the witches meant to people and he wanted to fill in a kind of witch for people that didn't have a witch. And there's nothing wrong with that. I fully love and support Tiffany. And honestly, how do you not love a character who gets an entire steel Eyes fan album written about them? (laughs) Um, I hope that when you get to winter Smith, you will also cover the album winter Smith because that is a very good album.
0: Definitely. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the notes. So. Hmm. Thief of time. Uh, Everyone wants one perfect moment. The trouble with the disc is that it's where all trouble starts. And that's a big problem for the forces of stasis, the grey-robed consensus mind called the auditors of reality. Their post thatcherian horror goal is to stop all this unpredictable nonsense and freeze everything in one perfect moment of order. To do this, they incorporate a part of themselves into a human body, Lady Miria Lejeune, and contract a genius clockmaker, Jeremy Clockson, to make the glass clock which will measure time so perfectly that everything disorderly will stop. Just stop. Everyone wants one perfect moment. Death, sensing yet another one of these apocalypse things, must be a Tuesday, rides forth the rally of the rest of the four... Aren't there five? Horsemen. None of them seem particularly interested in the end of times, though. Destroying all sentient life, etc., etc. Humanity, and we must assume all the other interesting species on the desk, are just too much fun. Death also hints strongly to Susan that something is awry, knocking her out of her Miss Frizzle cosplay and into another adventure. Meanwhile, the people who work overtime to keep time in time, the order of when, or the history monks to those not fully in the know, are dealing with challenges of their own. There's a novice who's just too good at advanced time-slicing techniques, time overloads causing the procrastinator array to cascade fail, and a mysterious smiling old man who refers to himself as sweeper. Plus, the latest incarnation of the abbot still hasn't mastered potty training. Sweeper, otherwise known as Lutze, and his new apprentice, Lobsang Ludd, set off to investigate the disturbances in the fabric of history and find themselves a minute too late in Ankh-Morpork, where the glass clock has already started to strike. The end of times or the end of time. It's up to two people with very complicated genealogy and one traitor to sort things out, because sometimes the perfect moment is just knowing there will be another one. I skimmed over a lot of the plot because, <laughs> first of all, we you know, are trying to be mindful of time, haha. Uh-huh uh but also because a lot of it, this book is very plotty plot as opposed to saying things at us we've got a bunch of characters in this book and a bunch of interweaving plots uh so do we want to talk about susan first do we do, do we want to talk about the history monks first
2: um i'm good with either let's let's start with susan let's yeah, first on the dock
0: so we remember susan from several previous books
2: yeah i think uh that was back when we did yeah. Hogfather was what? July? Christmas in July. Yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah. a while. Yeah.
0: The the granddaughter of death, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If you've been following along with the podcast, you know how much we love her.
1: It's really fun to see that she's sort of morphed from being Mary Poppins to being Ms. Frizzle. And I really enjoy it a lot.
0: Yeah. We definitely also, further di- further into this conversation, want to talk about the um, education stuff, <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, we can put a pen in that. I think. Yeah,
0: uh, but then there's the order of when, which I think was referred to in some some of the intro texts in earlier books, but this is the.
2: I remember. I remember mm-hmm. vaguely something there.
0: It's in. The, I I love how there's just sort of a region where all of these mystic orders sort of arrive, like the brother the, the Brotherhood of Cool
2: okay we'll go into this a little bit more but the 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 order of when in the history monks it's the the fact that like we get them as the the point of view characters and stuff the thing that i keep like that i kept thinking to when i was reading this is it feels very doctor who
3: Gosh, I wonder why. Um, (laughs)
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's British. It's time travel. It's, um. But yeah, it's like it feels. It feels like a random planet they would stop off on. There's the history monk planet. But yeah, then. But it crosses. It. it, I think sort of deftly avoids uh, some tropes that are. You know, ha- have been visited upon maybe in er- in earlier novels. Um,
1: <laughs> interesting times. God,
2: what
1: was. <laughs> yeah, it-
2: interesting times. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and makes mix- and, and like for example with Luce, uh, twists a little bit by making him like James, uh, almost a James Bond pastiche. Uh, along with a couple other yeah. action movie things.
1: We've got the two Time Boys
0: yeah that that was a i think that was the thing that one of the things that really stuck with me from from this whole from reading of the first time even was that that bifurcation was kind of cool
2: i don't know how much of this is my mental state while reading this book but that was a curveball that surprised
1: interesting me. Hmm.
2: like i i figured it was one or the other but the, i didn't realize oh the the, the twin thing mm-hmm. that actually like you've seen star wars you should know how this works <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, and then you know, I think that we have some some things that we will want to talk about with how Jeremy Clarkson is sort of described in text later on. Uh, but you know, the I also really like the the continuing just sort of brick by brick reveal that we get about how the guilds work and how you know the 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 various. Um, trade names that people take as as adoptees and how you know orphans are just sort of brought in with the daily milk mm-hmm. it it also really feeds into that sort of industrialization of, of ankh-morpork i think
1: yeah that with with each of these books we get more and more world building especially with ankh-morpork
0: mm-hmm. the four slash five horse people as well uh play a prominent role in this book uh the the little diversions into into war uh and his family life um i i really like but then it also it echoes a lot of good omens you know i know that i know that but, he's repeatedly said like
1: but they're all so. very different from how the horsemen are in good omens
0: That's true too yeah
1: um the personalities are extremely yeah. different it's similar in that they both have anthropomorphic personifications of mm. the four horsemen. Um but their the personalities are so wildly diverging it, that it it definitely makes it feel like a separate um separate media, which yeah. is good. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I wonder if that's because the uh the four horsemen in, in Good Omens, this is the only apocalypse they get, whereas it seems to happen weekly in <laughs> <I> mean- Discworld. <laughs>
3: I mean, what's the point of having apocalypse if you can't throw them? Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> you know, but also we don't actually know, and I don't think Neil knows, how much of the Horsemen and Good Omens uh, Terry wrote specifically, mm-hmm. whereas we do know that he wrote all of these Horsemen. That's true. Uh, but, but also you can see mm. the same author revisit the same archetypes, you know, the Horsemen of the Apocalypse, <laughs> Beauty from Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm a living incarnation of something you can see the same author revisit archetypes over and over and have them come out very differently each time. Mm-hmm. I I actually always wanted to see more of the Discworld horsemen. I thought they were neat. Mm. Absolutely. Well, death,
0: death yeah. specifically calls this out too in the, in the book, doesn't he? Something about being unchangeable.
2: They've all like, sort of like they get affected by humanity viewing, yeah. like thinking of them. But I yeah, I, it would have been interesting to see more of them. Like I, I, I do like the fifth the the fifth horseman that that whole thing, yeah. which yeah. is a lot of fun. Uh, and like famine and pestilence are they're fun little bits. I'm like it, it's. I feel like there's an earlier book where he like at least makes a horseman joke. They do ride out at one point, point. and I think yeah, it's it's a fun little. It, it, it's a it's a fun take on it. Like my like I think one of my favorite parts of the book is like. Uh, war shrunk down to like miniature, so he can watch them fight. <laughs> he's just in front of his house. He's just like ah, and he's got like his horse, and there's like little ant heads on it. Uh,
1: and um, I wanted to kind of ping off something that Shannon said, which is you you remarked on you know, an author revisiting the same archetype various times, and that's something that we've remarked upon. A few times as we've been going through the Discworld books, because going through them in order, there have been various points where it's felt like Terry has written or Terry wrote a book and then time passed and then he revisited the concept, but better, Uh which uh, we've really enjoyed reading through. Yeah, I think
3: that that's very common for a lot of authors that just you want to have the op. you didn't do it because you didn't love it. You know, I've been interrogating Snow White to a horrifying degree. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of what I do. But like Robin McKinley, uh, who's another British author, is almost infamous for that. That's her whole gig is she will find a fairy tale, write a really brilliant book about it, go away for 10 years, come back and write a completely different, really brilliant book about the same fairy tale, and leave the rest of us kind of wishing that we could meet her in a dark alley with a stick.
0: (laughs) 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 One other uh, important player in this book, uh, well, one slash one that I really want to just revisit is my favorite antagonist, the auditors of reality, um, which we've commented several times. He sort of, uh, Sir Terry sort of discarded the dungeon dimensions in favor of uh, in favor of something much scarier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The auditors are wonderful. Um, I love them as antagonists. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: The only other person I've seen do something similar was uh, David Wong in John dies at the end.
0: Um, It's it's so like it's it's like the Vogons from from Hitchhiker's Guide, but worse. Uh, It's a very like post-Thacharian like cosmic cosmic horror in a post-Thacharian world, really, Mm -hmm. and also just you know the the ultimate threat to to the. Chaotic but fruitful nature of of Discworld, you know, because like uh, it it's such a it's such a counterpoint as opposed to like the dungeons dimensions, which were just
3: more chaos. Yeah, we don't need any more chaos; we have plenty. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a very meta thread of like what what is the what is the greatest danger that mm-hmm. the story stops?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, their their avatar slash traitor, Miriam Lejean, uh, I think is a really fun character in, in, in this book, uh, start to
4: finish. And
1: just in general, this take on them where they're incarnated into bodies is so fascinating. Um, cause seeing how they are influenced by being air quotes, human, um, and seeing how they approach the world, like that they don't understand how to appreciate art. So they take, ap- take apart the painting pigment by pigment, um, mm-hmm. looking for the looking for the atom of art.
0: Which is it sort of reflects the uh, the death and Susan quote from from Hogfather. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Justin, what what are your sort of broad impressions as a as the first time reader?
2: Um, first of all, that for a a book about time travel, it was not incredibly confusing. um that that was like, you know, thank God. I don't know like it's like, you know, it's all pretty straightforward. It's, you know, I make the joke. I'm too gay to understand time travel, but I mean, it's, you know, it's all there. It's pretty solid. It, it's I didn't have anything It was like, I don't understand this. I need a wiki. um but, but yeah the first thing I felt about it is like the oh. It's a very doing book instead of saying the book. There there isn't as like as strong a point that's getting hammered up. But one thing that I felt is that this book is I'm not sure sad is the right word. Melancholy. Yeah, it's melon. It, it feels melancholic. That there are a lot of things that it just like when like there are point like a couple of points where I stop and I'm just like, wow, this is really this is a lot. Um like it just the um but i overall i really liked it it was um it feels very different from a lot of Discord books um okay two things i noticed there wasn't a lot of like more intentional humor it felt or uh, not a lot of more like stop the page laugh out loud humor um which is something that i like i sort of track along with footnotes now, this is a very mm-hmm. footnotes light book um but yeah, I mean, it's it's overall it's a book that I greatly enjoyed. It was just like it feels very different than a lot of the previous books we've yeah. done, especially because we're like with a lot of them we've either I uh, the last couple ones we've had have all been like Sam Vimesy or yeah. Richie.
1: The the last few that we've had have really been about something.
0: Mm, they've had a strong political message.
1: Yeah, and this is. It's a, it's a, it's a story and I really enjoyed it. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
1: I really enjoyed it as well because we haven't had a kind of pure plot, less message book in quite some time. And I would say that in terms of pacing characters, etc., this is a lot tighter than the last one we saw, which I don't even know when it was. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Might have been one of the Rintzen books.
2: I think the last one we'd have would have been, uh, maybe Carpe. I don't know. Maybe Carpe Jugulum mm. would count as that.
1: I don't know though.
2: Um, yeah. I think continent. I
1: think it would have been Last Continent, and um, this is just for me at least. It held together a lot more as a novel than, um, uh, than Last Continent did.
0: It's it's funny to me though, like the, the on this reread, maybe it's my you know increasingly crappy attention span or something, but um, the there's a lot of a lot of these books. I'm like, I get to page hundred and fifty or so, and I'm like, this has got to be the climax, right? And then I look, and there's like two hundred fifty more pages, you know, and, and you know, I, I'm always wrong, but you know, th- there's the um that sort of always seems to be the point where he's like okay plot a is here plot b is here plot c is here and they're going to go together now
1: yeah um i mean it's the the clock ha- the clock starts or stops or whatever you want to call the clock starts and time stops at around the 60% mark in this book right and so you've got 40% more book
3: right right I mean, one thing that pretty much every author does, it's not unique to Pratchett, but um, pretty much every author always has that next book that they're planning toward. And unless they have given up on life completely and are doing the authorial equivalent of living in sweatpants on Doritos, they are trying to become 2% Mm -hmm. better for the next book. They've got to do something new. They're trying to reach for something innovative, even in an ongoing series. And the thing about that is that if what they're reaching for is far enough out of where they are when they start reaching out their hand, it will echo forward as mm. well as backward. A lot of people disregard The Thief of Time because of where it comes, because it is, as you say, not an issues book. It's not political. It's a pause and take a breath and have a plot. But I don't think he could have written Nightwatch if he had not written yeah. Thief of hmm. Time first if he had not orchestrated the clockwork at the heart of Thief of Time and seen how the gears fit mm-hmm. together, it's not as intricate and it's not as perfect, but he had to build that before he could build yeah, it. Yeah,
0: totally. I 100% agree with that take. You know, we we see him take ideas from previous books and write an entire book about it uh, just sort of yeah. so many times.
2: Yeah, like I don't think we get small gods if we don't have pyramids. Right as much as we might mm-hmm. have had an issue with pyramids. Yeah.
1: Shannon, you said, you know, that you know, having thief of time gives us the ability to have night watch. And I think that in the broader scheme of things as a reader, it's nice to take a breath.
4: Mhm.
1: Mhm. Oh, you have to every mm-hmm. now and then. And this mm-hmm. is a for me it was a really good Take a breath book that you know, justin pointed out that it has kind of a mel- melancholy tone um which is interesting and different but it's you know it's it's kind of nice to just sort of step back from like thinking about politics and just be like hey it's a novel we like novels novels are good mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. and the take the take a breath books are not easier to write they are in fact they're frequently harder especially if you've gotten into a pattern of and now we're going to have a revelation now we're going to have a big plot now we're going to have this or that it can be really difficult addiction uh, narrative is an addiction you do have to stop and force yourself to put Mm -hmm. it
2: down yeah i I think i one thing that i noticed from i it's it's a definite departure because it's a part like the last like five books have all either been vimes books or witch books or been very closely related to vimes like with the truth that it's like taking a step back like i don't think we've seen anything from like the mythological side like this in discworld for a while and it's it's honestly fun to get back mm-hmm. um cuz like i think yeah i mean the last time we saw anything like that really was pogfather which would have been which was now 6 books ago mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's delightful. I it, like there's, and there's, I mean, it's been a while since we've really hung around with death and, um, that's, that's my boy and, um, it's, it's great. And like, I think that like the, I'm also a sucker for like the, 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 uh, God, what <laughs> we have names for these Luce. characters, uh, love saying, and Lise, say uh-huh. who are like this it's a funny pairing and it's just like I don't I don't think we we've had like we had books like really early on in Discworld where it's like where it's like though no, there's the special boy um like Mort or um sorcery I do not remember the the protagonist of pir- uh, por- sorcery or pyramids but it's like it's I'm love thing is like he's a nice guy he's like like he's a good boy, and like it's it's nice to have that and it's like if it, it feels like a refinement of like some of those earlier tropes and put into like a protagonist who works a lot more mm-hmm.
0: it's funny though like there there are a lot of you know for for a just sort of not statement level book but plotty book, there's a lot of like disworld community memes that came out of this <laughs> book, like, you know, Rule 1 and and all of the Death by Chocolate stuff. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably missing 35 different things, but I feel like there's a lot of things that people remember from Thief of Time, even if, you know, even if, you know, oh. they don't put it high on their reread list.
2: The the Death by Chocolate stuff. Yeah. Want, God, yeah, that's...
0: <laughs> yeah we- weaponized high-quality chocolate. But, you, it, you know, and there's, there's so many... I think they're called brick jokes in in this book, you know, where he, he puts something in the first act and then uses it in the third act. And you're
1: like, Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a brick joke. Do we want to talk about, do we want to talk about themes and tropes?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Um, you know, the, I think the other thing that's really funny to me is that this is the book where, Terry talks to his audience directly and he's like, <laughs> and here's why history doesn't make sense in Discworld.
1: Yeah, I love it. Um I I I really I really enjoy that. Yeah, we've, or- we've already talked about how this is
2: It's not gonna make sense. <laughs> It'll never make sense.
1: <laughs> we've already talked about how this is, you know, a plot book rather than an issue book. I think the the theme for me, for for this one, though, is um, so pulling from Hogfather. You know, we have the, the famous quote from there of you know, that humanity is where the falling angel meets the rising ape. Right. And both of them have speak a lot to the what I'll call the falling angel bit. But I think that this one with the auditors, it's really interesting to address, I think, the rising ape section of that, that, um, you know, that with the auditors, there's this riff on how our thoughts and behaviors are influenced by a lot of factors beyond just what we're thinking consciously, um, that the auditors are incarnated and they change fundamentally. Um, Mm. and I think that it's, it's very interesting to me.
0: That idea that that physical form causes you to start differentiating like immediately, yeah,
1: or or you know, as you know, when death would say that he doesn't have any emotions because the emotions come from glands, right?
0: <laughs> I, I think that's a I think that's a really like a really good take on that. Uh the 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 contextuality of stories too really sort of popped through for me, you know, especially with the with the return of the the awful German uh well not German but basically German uh fairy tale book. <laughs> the the yes. grim yeah. fairy tales.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that one's not true, that one's not true, that one is true, that one's not true. That was funny. And more Igor's.
2: Oh, Igor's bless them. Oh, my gosh, I love I, lo- I love that we get Igor's point of mm. view in this. It's just like yes. I have there there it's like uh, there are certain ones that I'm just like I never know what going into a discworld book is going to be the thing that like, oh, I'm going to love this and clutch it to <laughs> my chest. And it turns out this is Igor's <laughs> are one of them. They are so mm-hmm. good.
0: I still need to make these two watch uh Young Frankenstein.
1: One of these days.
0: One of these days,
2: They'll watch party.
0: Uh, the other thing that I really enjoyed was the the inversion of the sort of the uh, martial art film sort of master and and uh, student relationship, and then very specifically Mrs. Cosmopolite's uh, way. <laughs> yes, you know the 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 f- making the ancient mystic text be. Um, from Ankh-Morpork, as opposed to from you know the Agatine Empire or something like that. For
1: is it not written? It won't get better if you if you pick at it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm not made out of time.
1: Unless, <laughs> Unless you are. Through.
0: Unless you are. <laughs> we touched on this frizzle a little bit. Do we want to? Do we want to <laughs> return to that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Susan, the school teacher. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Who 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 has definitely who has. Uh, since the last time we saw seen her grown up, got in a very stable job, uh, has turned her classroom into, I don't even <laughs> want, like we'll say like sanctum Sanctorum for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. Uh, and, uh, you know, just takes her kids for field trips in linger. I, the, 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 the note I had before I saw the Miss Frizzle thing and on, and, and obviously like loops right in is like I had, I had a note down of just like Susan is a time Lord now. That's
1: <laughs> it. Um, and I, I actually looked up when magic school bus was first airing, which was apparently 1994 to 1997 um, just because
3: mm-hmm. of, it is very, very unlikely that the magic school bus was actually in any way a, uh, an influence on Susan was much more likely that he was pulling from the, iva Ibbits- from the Eva Ibbotson books. Oh. Eva Ibbotson did a whole lot in children's fiction in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, published in Britain, and did several books that focused heavily on school. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Cool. That's that's really cool. It's
3: a- yeah, it, it's interesting. There's
0: some some really barbed remarks in this book about progressive education which uh were were
2: interesting. Aaron, how do you feel about that as somebody who works for a university? Uh, well,
0: <laughs> you know, it's it's more the the I don't know, it's it's you know, it, he's what he says and what he does with Susan in in the education scenes almost go against each other because I mean, Susan really is providing, you know, education through through even more than just play, like actual experience. And I think that that's, it's just, a, it just stuck out to me as something that conflicted in my head. But a lot of people who aren't in education, really, their experiences only come from, you know, having been to school. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. not something I hold against anybody in particular. It's just, you know, the the that that sort of making fun of of education through play, especially for younger kids, which is really kind of considered best practice now, honestly. Um, you know, because Susan theoretically stands there and does the discursive model, but really doesn't. But then also she has the voice to lean on. So, <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, and Susan seems to also have the kind of recognition that, you know, that children thrive when they're given respect and a Mm -hmm. age appropriate amount of autonomy.
0: And challenged with, with dangerous ideas. Kids love dangerous ideas.
1: It's interesting.
0: That was me yelling about education for five (laughs) minutes.
3: No, that's good. I mean, I would really want to see what the definition of progressive education was in the UK oh, at totally. the time. Because I feel kind I feel kind of like we may be stumbling into another of those cultural mm-hmm. things where it feels like he says one thing and does another, but he actually said and did the same thing if you are using the same yeah. dictionary.
4: Yeah, that's
0: totally yeah. true. Yeah, and you know, as we as we note repeatedly on this podcast, like we fully acknowledge that we're looking at this with, you know, eyes from 2022 Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, in, in the time that it was written. And 2022
1: U.S. And the place.
0: Yeah. 2022
2: U.S. Yeah. Ridiculously American. At least online.
0: We talked to some Aussies a few, uh, a few months ago uh, when we were talking about Last Continent and they were very curious as to what we understood from all of the cultural references in that book. And we were like, well, maybe that one.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, I was joking that like we got an hour into that recording, and literally, they could have told me anything about Australia in this book, and I would have believed them.
3: (laughs) That is kind of the purpose of Australia. (laughs) And even in Australia, you can scare people with Australia. I went on a walking tour of the Yuyang Mountains, Yuyang Mountains, and uh, wandered away at one point, came back over to the walking tour with a black swan and asked, Is this a black swan? And my tour guide turned around. Yeah, you can't have picked that up. And I'm like, well, I certainly did. What would you like me to do with it? No, you don't understand. It is physically impossible for you to have picked up a living swan. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm glad that we've had this little talk, but I am holding the swan. What would you like to do? The swan is grooming my hair with its beak. Like the swan is perfectly content. I gave it most of my lunch before picking it up. And uh, just... What do you want me to do? Can you tell me more about this swan? I can tell you to get it the hell away from me. <laughs> Would you like me to put it down? God, no. Like, <laughs> what is supposed to happen now? And what happened was I held the swan until it told me it wanted to be put down, and then I put the swan down, and it hissed at my tour guide and walked away. But uh,
1: even Australians. Scare that's women. a wonderful story. Thank you.
0: One of the things that we like to do is pull out these chunks of text where, where just, you know, these diamonds that appear in Terry's writing. Uh, we've sort of been calling them buttons. Uh, speaking of memes, the, the, the one of the ones that I, that appears all the time is uh, the, of course, someone would be that stupid. Some humans would do anything to see if it was possible to do it. If you put a large switch in some cave somewhere with a sign on it saying, end of the world switch, please do not touch. The paint wouldn't even have time to dry. And that's my entire RPG group. <laughs>
2: I, <laughs> how <laughs> dare you I have an that. <laughs> you're right it's just Jude oh no it's like going off of that there's, uh, there's a line where Luce says that um, if somebody pulled the dra- if, if somebody pulled the uh, the drain cap for the universe you would find somebody in Ankh-Morpork holding the chain <laughs>
1: Something, something that I have, um, that's not quite a button, but I wanted to highlight it is, um, at at one point, death says, "Thank goodness that I am completely unchanging and exactly the same that I as I ever was," and I highlighted it and wrote, "Oh, buddy."
3: Yeah, he is not paying great. <laughs> I love
1: death. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> it all went downhill when two flower taught him bridge
1: it really did though yeah the the other button i have is um humanity practically was things that didn't have a position in time and space such as imagination pity hope history and belief take those away and all you had was an ape that fell out of trees a lot <laughs> and and something that's not a single button but is kind of interspersed throughout the treatment and importance of the sweepers i thought was a really important thread so lutsei can be he's this master of infiltration because he's hidden in plain sight nobody pays attention to sweepers and uh-huh. you, the monks treat him and the other sweepers badly until he's until they realize that he's the lutsei um not mm-hmm. just a sweeper um and then, and then at the end, it kind of culminates with Lobsang choosing to take the robe and the broom rather than becoming an acolyte or master.
0: I mean, that may be one of the political yeah. messages in, yeah. in this book. Honestly, is you know treat mm-hmm. treat even the the most uh, you, you treat the people True. who you see as at the bottom of the social order as if they were at the top.
3: Everyone is
1: deserving yeah. of respect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then I've I actually have saved the the sort of summary of Wens' uh, philosophy on various digital storage devices ever since I first read it, uh, because it it really is something that I would like to say that I strive for, but. Uh, it's in the beginning of the book uh, when considered the nature of time and understood that the universe is instant by instant recreated anew. Therefore, he understood there is in truth no past, only a memory of the past. Blink your eyes, and the world you see next did not exist when you closed them. Therefore, he said, the only appropriate state of mind is surprise. The only appropriate state of the heart is joy. The sky you see now you've never seen before. The perfect moment is now. Be glad of it. I I absolutely love that quote. Um, and it, it's definitely like reminiscent, it, it, I'm, I'm guessing it probably was what inspired the title of his collected short works, uh, blink of the screen, or, you know, maybe just he was online a lot. I'm not sure. Hard you know.
3: to
2: say. Uh, other,
0: other small bits that you enjoyed.
3: I always went with sometimes thinking is like talking to another person, but that person is also you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is the only conversationalist I have most days, but we get along great, so it's fine.
0: (laughs) Well, that and the 30-pound cat that you have.
3: I have four cats. They are not great conversationalists. Mm. They are great at stepping (laughs) on my kids. It's a gift.
0: I think one of the other funny things in the book for me was uh, the saves-gumming yetis, um, who I guess are, you know, time-slicing relations of the trolls. Uh, But... Mm -hmm. that to me was like, ah, Terry played a lot of Elder Scrolls, didn't he? <laughs> yes, he
1: did. <laughs> I love seeing Nanny Og again. Um yes. with, without the, the oh, Nanny Og intro yeah.
0: is by far one of my favorite parts of the and book. And
1: without the context of the other witches, she comes across as a lot more competent, um, because you know, you're not seeing uh-huh. her in Granny's shadow. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I always felt like Nanny let herself be a little bit
3: incompetent because she could safely and, you know, because at that point she doesn't have to be coherent. She doesn't have to be the witch that's saving mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That um, dialogue between her and Susan is uh, so
3: fascinating. It's just one of the many reasons I honestly kind of wish that they had gone ahead, that that Terry had gone ahead and killed Granny in Carp Because there's a point in that book where it's very clear that he has made the decision to kill off Granny Weatherwax. His mind is made up. He's going to do it. And then he chickens Mm. out. And, you know, she was his imaginary friend. She lived with him longer than any of us knew him. She's one of the voices in his head. I don't think he could kill her, Mm -hmm. but I kind of wish he had because having her there was forever a limiting factor on the other absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, nanny nanny goes into almost the fool role a lot, or just horny, um, <clears throat> which you know, fair fair play for her. She's great, and we we constantly ship her and Casananda. But yeah, you know, seeing her out outside of the context of being the comedic relief to Granny's iron spine behavior, and seeing her just in her element as the best midwife um mm. i think i i distinctly appreciate uh, in this book yes
1: yeah she she's wonderful here she's still nanny og you know she still has the um the nanny og house and the uh the, the daughters-in-law um statue of the gnome that's not fishing no <laughs>
2: My, my favorite little bit of that where is where she says like oh these are just my daughters-in-law here to help me alone. lot of like <laughs> if I, like you know my old age you know I'm so alone now and then like Susan takes one look around and is like ah oh, a bullshitter <laughs> yeah. so
0: so there's something along the lines of like you know the, enough pictures here to to show the 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 og <laughs> army or something like that. I kind of wish our had met uh,
3: had met Susan. Yes. Oh, that would not have ended well. <laughs> That's true. Exactly. I, I, I just I don't want to see Manny Ogg in a feud with Death
1: <laughs> because we all know who would win. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> well, I was going to say it'd be. It'd probably be nanny winning. <laughs> That's who I'd put my money on. Right.
0: I mean, we have had previous instances where, where granny yeah. has stared down Death. So. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: I love the buttered toast machine.
0: Oh, with the death of rats?
1: Yes, and and that um Death has constructed this buttered toast machine to like measure the fundamental probabilities of the universe or something along those lines. And it's, it's just fantastic. You know, the little machine that makes the toast and butters the toast and then drops it and measures how, you know, which way it lands. Um, I I love
0: mm-hmm. it. It's reminiscent of the uh, little elephant machine that goes plib with, in moving pictures. Um, it. it Interesting that exactly zero wizards appear in this book, though.
2: For something yeah.
0: that is a you know reality-ending threat,
2: they they get to say this one, th- this one
1: wasn't <laughs> us. I also really enjoy Lutze and his like unflagging practicality. Um, Yes, including but not limited to Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite lines is when Lobsang says something about like, well, I thought that we could like survive on the mystical um, forces of the universe. And uh, (laughs) Luce says, like, maybe if we were on the planet sausage. Mm
4: hmm.
0: The uh, and and Terry in, inverting his own brick joke tradition by by making the most anti joke of of the fifth surprise. <sighs> surprise. Uh we talked about Igor's
1: anti auditor tactics. <laughs> oh my god, those signs! Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. The the anti auditor tactics
3: with their you know intentional chaos.
1: I really enjoyed them. I feel like many
3: signs in America are innately anti-auditor tactics because you'll have (laughs) the English for don't do the thing and then you'll have the Spanish for don't do the thing and they don't say the same thing. (laughs) Um, My friend Phil is a safety specialist. He, He works for the California University System. And so he makes safety signs that are not real safety signs, but are accurate to the way that spanish translations would go into english so i have a sign on the door that says keep children out of corn and the spanish translation that is beneath it says children who go into the corn will be taken <laughs> <laughs> so i think most american signs are just sort of anti-auditor by nature
0: yeah it reminds me of that that welsh sign that went viral like a decade ago where the, the sign in English says no entry for heavy goods vehicles, residential sign only, and the Welsh translates to I'm not in the office at the moment, send any work to be translated. <laughs> I feel like the auditors would puzzle over that one for they a while. They would
3: be very confused. And then one of them would say the English suck, and they would all kind of go, okay, well, that makes more sense.
1: Um. <laughs> I would also be very amused to witness the auditors attempt to navigate like any major US uh city highway and exits and et cetera because that that would be that would be an experience for them
0: or the US healthcare system. That too. <laughs>
2: Even the
3: auditors don't deserve that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: this is a this is a funny this is a a line that was intended as, a you know, it, it was a funny, it's a, it's a funny, like, observational bit of humor in 2022, but the word choice, or back when it was written in 2001, in 2022, the word choice just makes this incredibly hilarious, um, which is when they're discussing the gentleman's, like, the the lounge uh, fidgets, um, where, like, death goes to, like, go through the 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 process of attempting to nap and they they say that women weren't allowed in the club at all except under rule 34b and i was just like you know 21 years later there this this term did not exist in 2001 but it was just it was very funny reading that there because i was just
3: like obviously that's you know rule 34 has taken on yeah yeah i would say there's a non the author there's a non-zero chance rule 34 was actually named after that joke
1: oh my gosh i I can't
3: i can't say for sure but cause and effect and the internet being as full of nerds as it is
1: i can absolutely believe that
2: we had we we had uh a sub like I, i i posted that and uh, a group chat we have and uh one of our friends was like I can't say where it's from but I and, and like we were trying to track down the history of it and and he was like I know I know I first encountered this on an exped shipping forum in 2004 <laughs>
0: um uh, speaking of the auditors though the uh moment when igor sees the newly incorporated auditors <laughs> coming down the street and is like oh no <laughs> lawyers <laughs>
1: And he's so concerned. Yeah. And then it comes to
2: the possibility that they might be accountants and he's like, oh no. <laughs> I mean, honestly, all the Igor stuff in this is... Igor's are normal. always
1: treasures.
2: And <laughs> like the under
0: th- the door, there's like the zapping and like the blue light and stuff. And J- <laughs> the, the 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 guy from the guild is like, what's he doing? And he's making tea.
4: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> I do... The, the, I do like how you could apparently get an Igor ship <laughs> from Ubervald to Ogbore Pork overnight.
3: I <laughs> mean, well, they're sturdy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the the other thing that, like, is surprising me rereading this, because I, like, I didn't notice it the first time through reading all of the references to, to C-mail. Mm-hmm. Like, I totally missed the first time around. Um, yeah. You know,
2: Clax you- Addresses... Yeah, they get that, like, we get the, I think we get the first yep. mention of that in the true. And and the Igors mm-hmm. have embraced it's, it. It's a fun little pickup from that. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, yeah. the whole, like, Igor agency. Uh,
0: and, and then also, like, even just a couple of books into knowing who Igors are, uh, I love how we know enough about Igors for when Igor gets worried, we're like, oh <laughs> <sighs> Like, he's too sane uh <laughs> speaking of though i i kind of want to jump ahead and talk a little bit about how many of the people on the antagonist side of things for for several books have been what i would broadly define as neurodivergent i
2: mean there's been a couple like pickups or there's it's been a couple books that we've had this and like i think like starting with tea time of like having i i've put like when i put it when i was putting in my notes of like i think like it's the the trope of like troubled geniuses uh-huh. Uh-huh. that eat, that we've seen repeated in a couple books now of like people who are extremely competent at something but like aren't we would say maybe either like totally well or maybe need some help and i like jeremy jeremy was the one that like sort of like really got me on there who i i don't want to like i don't want to like try to like uh diagnose him on air or anything because that's not something i can do um Mm -hmm. but he does have some qualities that like i i ring true here and like he's he's obsessive and there, there, and like there is a whole thing of like that the clockmaker's guild has him on medicine, which we find out partway through the book that he is mm-hmm. dumping down the sink.
1: And and the running gag of how obsessive the head of the clockmaker's guild is with making sure that Jeremy takes his medicine, um, that he is you know, practically <laughs> ready to force feed it to him, um, which was fairly uncomfortable. There's also. Lady Lejeune, who uh repeatedly refers to herself as insane, uh maybe she is relative to auditor standard, but yeah.
0: I mean, I think that's what the I think that's what she's saying.
2: Yeah, I think I think that is much more a like going off of like her 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 base.
1: I'd love to get your thoughts Mm -hmm. on this, Shannon, because I know you know you've made an effort in a lot of your books to portray neurodivergence in not a negative light and um, have neurodivergent characters who are um, well-rounded, et cetera.
3: I think that assuming intentional neurodivergence is a little bit putting quarters into somebody else's piggy bank. You know, the this is someone who needed help and was failed by the system is absolutely a thing mm. that, that I see in this, that you know, Jeremy just mm-hmm. needed, he needed help that he couldn't get access to. Uh, but calling out the word insane and referring to herself as insane, this book came out in 2001. Yep. Speaking as mm-hmm. a neurodivergent author who makes an active effort to avoid using ableist language in my books, I did not hear, no one told me until 2014, that the word crazy was considered ableist or was in any way problematic. And from our current position Mm -hmm. in 2022, that sounds like a lie. Even when I say it now, that sounds unrealistic, but it's true. That was a word that we threw around like candy. And as a person who Mm -hmm. has uh, neurodivergences and has at least one condition that is considered a mental illness, I missed that word. It had a Z and a Y. It was fun to say. It felt good in the mouth. Like, I have put it away because it hurts other people when I use it carelessly, but I'm not going to look at someone writing in 1999, 2000 with the language that they thought was okay in those years and where it's published in 2001 and say, oh, they used bad ableist language here when it was not a word that was commonly known to be. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, definitely.
3: Um, I do think it is a little bit problematic that he leans so hard on the outsider trope as bad guys in this run of books. But I also think that there is enough counterbalance of the these people needed help and we did not give it to them. These people needed help Mm. that was not us standing over them with a funnel and a
1: pill bottle. Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and I think that there's a point to be made here that Lobsang got that help. Um, much more mm-hmm. than Jeremy mm-hmm. did.
0: From the Thieves' Guild, as opposed to yeah. from the Engineers.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I,
2: this this is entirely, like, can be, like, entirely me reading into, uh, you know, this and, formulating my own things, where, like, you know, Lobsing got placed in, you know, a Thieves' Guild, which is, we'll say, Thievery is a little bit more, you know, it's adaptive. It's a people, it's you know, more people facing, and so he got help and <laughs> customer got, service mm-hmm, oriented was was put into, yeah. Meanwhile, Jeremy is in a setting of engineers who maybe don't consider what he like, you know, where he's coming from as something to be like assisted, but instead here's the Mm medicine. It's a, it's a problem to be, it's a problem to be solved.
0: And Jeremy isn't even really the antagonist. Like he's not doing, he's not making the clock to be bad. He's making the clock to make a perfect thing.
3: Yeah. Though that does take us to cool motive. Still murder. You know, I would argue it it doesn't matter why he's making the clock. If he makes the clock, we're all completely screwed. Therefore, the fact that he mm-hmm. is making the clock and cannot be convinced not to make the clock, he needs to make the clock to feel joy, makes him the antagonist. You know, the snake that is trying to eat a bird is definitely the bird's antagonist, even if the snake is only doing it so it doesn't.
1: And and he also is not, you know, Igor repeatedly tells him, like, something's up here. I don't like this. We should stop. And... it's it's not like he doesn't have anybody saying to him maybe this is a bad idea really what he is is a beautiful illustration of incompatible access needs
3: Hmm. you know he he does need that level of order to be able to interface with the world in a way that's healthy for him he needs to have these things we can't let him have them because if we do we're all screwed but he still needs them Mm -hmm. yeah
0: I think that there's probably a a contingent, especially in Silicon Valley, who could probably relate to Jeremy in multiple levels.
2: I'm not good. I, it's like I could say things, but then yeah. I'm like, hmm, at least one of them probably listens to this podcast. Also,
3: would those things be kind <laughs> or
2: necessary? Probably not. No. Uh, no. I mean, not necessarily. But it's like I, I. It's like there are people here who like I. I see this reflected, uh-huh. um, but it, it like in my everyday life, it's like not necessarily to the extent of, you know, ending the universe. What mm. if I could? <laughs> I love that. in like this book out of all the random ones. We get a James Bond cue.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was, It was just like, that was like five pages of just like, i we're yeah. genre hopping here real quick and i'm very happy with it uh-huh. i love love
0: the uh backpack procrastinators i think that's such a cool idea
2: yeah it really feels like he got the name q like Q Q U, and it's just like okay this joke is going in now <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> a little particle of inspiration
2: yeah um but yeah, the, the back the, the backpack procrastinators and how they played the plot like with lob saying stopping is mm-hmm. really fun. Uh
0: let's see, should we move on to uh the, the other wrap up pieces?
1: I uh, think so. Um yeah.
0: I, I noted a mention of Coombe Valley. Uh we have not seen that name in a while. Where? Uh okay. but bookmark that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um pretty sure I saw Maurice on page two thirty three. A large, tattered-eared uh, orange tabby.
1: That's quite possible. I loved all of the small gods references. Mm-hmm.
2: They're oh, everywhere yeah, here,
1: a... and they give me a lot of joy. <laughs> the
2: yeah, my favorite like one-off joke was the was the angel who's like, "Hi, I'm here <laughs> for the apocalypse," and it's like, "Oh, oh, we, you're not canon anymore." Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is just like oh that's 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 funny
0: (laughs) oh yeah and uh i also liked the notation that witches are matrilineal as they find it much easier to change men than to change names uh which definitely plays out with nanny oligar i believe is is at this point on her third husband it makes
3: a lot of sense yeah Yeah, i am not a text purist to the point of the people that this book was kind of aimed at i i don't sit there (laughs) trying desperately to line up continuities because that just doesn't make me happy in my own books. Why would it make me happy in someone else's? Um, yeah, seriously. But it is nice to have that kind of acknowledgement of the continuity of the witches and the way that they've always been presented being that firm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. and uh, There's there's a lot with the kind of text continuity here too, you know, with kind of the way that it addresses all of the kind of timeline weirdnesses that we have seen and occasionally remarked upon it's just like, it's, it's kind of both a, I feel like this ends up being both doyalist and Watsonian. Yeah. And Watsonian that, you know, you have the Watsonian, well, history was broken twice. This is why. And there's the Doyalist but does it really matter? It's a. It's these are fun. You read these for fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Which I I really enjoy that.
0: Mm-hmm. History broke once, and I'm going to break it again in this book. By the way,
2: <laughs> I I as somebody who you know goes off on weird things because I you know have to have to come up with RPG scenarios. The 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 note in the text of like his- The historian or the 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 tendency of there's not a lot that goes on in this period of history. we don't have a lot of records something must be wrong uh was was very funny for me as somebody who uh has you know played with that before and uh has gone down one t- one too many conspiracy theory rabbit holes about the middle ages. <laughs> If you ever want to keep your sanity listeners, just don't look up phantom the Phantom Time Hypothesis. You'll pull
3: your hair <laughs> out. Yeah, it's not a good plan. One fear.
0: And definitely don't look up the blind brain theory, which was ricocheting around my head as I was reading about the auditors thinking about themselves. Okay,
3: if we're going for horrifying things, don't look up English sweating sickness. It will not make you sleep well at night.
1: I don't want yeah. yeah that that's no that that is legitimately terrifying
3: we still don't know what it was it could come back any
2: time <laughs> i we, we've got to round this out do you have like a, a thing that nobody should google like we all get one. <laughs>
1: um i'm gonna go with since i'm a statistician who has spent a lot of time with mathematicians over the years. Let's go with the hairy ball theorem. <laughs> it's the it's the idea that if you have a perfectly spherical ball. Wait, no,
0: they have to look it up. They have oh, to look okay. it up.
2: Yeah, yeah, Google it. The, the don't Google.
1: <laughs> there we go. You, you can cut that out then. But yes, the, the hairy ball theorem.
2: And I'm looking this up, and let's see how <laughs> that.
3: Oh no, no, no! I, that
1: that thing was for. So I wrote a book called Middle
3: Game, which is arguably in conversation with The Thief of Time because it's about breaking time and rewinding time. And in order to write that, I had to look up like every weird-ass mathematical theorem of the last 150 years, and that was one of the ones that caused me issues. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Middle like. Game is a wonderful okay. book, by the way. Very well done. Thank you.
0: It's on my. It's high on my I, to be read list.
2: I was given. I was given it by a partner, just sitting on my shelf right now, waiting to be read.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> I press gang Justin into reading forty-one books.
3: Yeah, I. I am not that concerned. It mostly was relevant because it was why I had heard of the Harry Ball theorem. But, <laughs> uh, speaking of.
0: R- very th- weird things that I had to look up. Uh, I was really curious about Zimmerman's Valley, which is referred to a couple times mm-hmm. in this book. Oh. Um, yeah. And there's some competing theories about it on L Space. Uh, it may refer to Bob Dylan, who was in fact born with Robert Zimmerman. You know, the times they are changing. Uh, it may also refer to Dean Zimmerman, a professor of philosophy at Rutgers who has written extensively on the philosophy of time. It-
2: feels like that's much more
3: likely the latter or it might refer to both of them okay, or it fair. could
2: refer
0: to both. of them.
4: Yeah.
1: So I wanted to highlight um, Zimmerman's Valley as well, because it at least in like tone or like in the, in the back of my head, it reminded me of another Terry piece of media, which is uh, the long earth. Hmm. And, and this is something where it's, absolutely not a like direct comparison but the um there's a concept in the long earth of kind of like if you're shifting through worlds you kind of can hit a groove or like mm-hmm. that there are um gaps between the worlds where things are weird in one way or another and it just like pinged as like these things feel similar to me in like the depths of my soul somehow mm.
0: Yeah, or, or you know, it, it the thing that it also called to me was uh, flow state, which, you know, uh, I, I personally can seem to only really achieve when I'm in the middle of cooking. That, like, where you're so fully engaged in a task and everything feels so fluid and perfect.
1: Or, like, if you're playing some sort of rhythm game and, like, somebody's like, well, how do you do it? And you're like, well, you enter the rhythm zone. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I play a lot of Dance Dance Revolution and I played
3: in arcades for so long that I am actively several grade levels higher if I put my phone on Instagram and just turn on Instagram Live so I know that the arcade can see me. Uh, (laughs) And it actually does push me into the Dance Dance Revolution zone. Like I'll be panting and furious, but I can dance better if we really want to call that dance
0: yeah the the one one final thing uh pretty clearly susan and lobsang are together or together for now uh, at
2: the end is that your read i'm a i am a fan of the the dynamic of of hyper competent lady and guy who you know is decent i mean i'm i'm a, I'm a i i'm a multi-shipper but i'm a scott gene shipper uh <laughs> I mean, I'm also a Scott. I'm a shipper. <laughs> I I am a Krakoa fan, so <laughs> I just like it for different reasons. I Like bunnies. but uh, I yeah, I think it's cute. Um, like the last the last little scene in the uh in the classroom, I like I, I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. It is. Terry has like I. It doesn't feel as like forced as some of the earlier romance stuff, and I didn't actively bounce off of it, and I thought it was cute at points. That is a market improvement that some of the early mm-hmm. ones we had.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, I think that the uh, the thing that really works for me with it is that it's veiled. Like you know, it happens, and the you know, and the camera yeah. pans. And uh,
1: it feels like he's not like not actively trying to make chemistry between them and like smush them together um mm-hmm. that it feels it feels like they have a very natural rapport which i really like
0: mm-hmm. plus the whole you know being children of anthropomorph- anthropomorphic personifications or related to or it's complicated Susan's grandchild. it's complicated ah uh, okay anything else we did not want to do before the ratings
2: um I mean, we have our question that we ask all our guests. Uh, that's oh, sure. <laughs> um, go for it. <laughs> this is the thing we do with all of, with all of our guests who are even somewhat RPG inclined. Um, if you want, because I I I follow your Twitter, I I do like D and D stuff. If you wanted, if you were to say play a game in Discworld, is there anything that you would particularly like to do, or like a a character subset that you would like to Engage with if you were doing, like, say, a game set on the desk
3: Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you were asking me to figure out how Dungeons and Dragons worked in Discworld. No. Although well, that would be a funny be story. Funny, but also, like, I am really high on cold medication right now, and it is not fair to ask me <laughs> to extemporize an entire author's and accountants setting. Like, just no, no, <laughs> no,
2: oh. no. Just if you wanted, if you, if you were oh. going to do, if you if you ended up doing a thing in Discworld, what would be the thing you would want to do if you were playing a game at it?
3: I would probably use the Bureau 13 system as requiring the least kludges to actually fit onto the Bureau 13, in, onto the Discworld setting. You could also get there by using the cinematic unit system reskin of GURPS University, but that's going to be a little bit more Cthulhu-y. <laughs> Um, you could also run with the girl.
0: I have the the Discworld Gurp's books. The
3: Discworld Gurp's <laughs> books work well, but they don't commit properly. IOU commits, mm. so you would need to do the cinematic Yuta system reskin. I'm sorry. Um, I have gotcha. firm opinions here. You could also do a strong Discworld mm-hmm. game with Teenagers from Outer Space. I think T Foz would be the best for a high comedy discworld campaign. Mm. Um, and I would probably go with an Encore Porkian, either Inventors Guild member or wizard. I like to blow shit up. It's what makes me happy in my role-playing game soul.
2: Beautiful. Excellent. Beautiful. I always Beautiful. love this question because we get so many different answers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> We've gotten everything from like belonging outside belonging games all the way to very, you know, specific mechanical question details and everything in between. It's great. So before Justin gets to read the back cover of the next book, uh let's do our our uh ratings. Uh,
1: Anna, you want to lead us off? Sure. I'm going to give it 11 out of 12 chocolates in a Higgs and Meekin deluxe assortment.
0: You threw out the nougat, didn't you? Yes.
1: I'll rate this four
2: out of five, horsemen,
0: uh, And I give it five out of five surprises.
3: And I will give it three out of five regrets, but five out of five delights. I regret that this is the last time we get to see Susan. I am very delighted that she had such a solid final solo outing. Hard agree. Wait. This is the last we see I a... <laughs> I don't think you Girl? get to get mad at me for spoilers, buddy.
4: You're no, a genius, I not agency. I'm
2: I'm mad. I, I'm, I'm just like about the revelation <laughs> I'm mad about the
3: revelation. I think that, of like this. I don't get bored. Yeah, no, this I think that we may see Susan again. I I can't accurately remember right now, but this is our last so Su- Susan book.
0: It's okay. You can always reread Hogfather.
3: Or we can, can watch the BBC miniseries.
2: We do need to do that. We missed it in Christmas. We do
3: yeah, that was we'll do it. We'll do it for next Christmas. You know, based on the store shelves, Christmas should be back in a month, so Oh god. <laughs> I extend Halloween locally by one day for every day that Christmas appears in the stores prior to Halloween. We are still on mm-hmm. Halloween twenty twenty.
4: Oh
0: God. Now I'm thinking about what's what kind of? Because like uh, several of my friends have have joked around about like you know the an episode of The West Wing where where they played D and D for some sort of satanic panic thing. But now I'm thinking about what care what carrot would play in a and D game
4: because he wouldn't
0: play a paladin. Huh. He'd be the DM, wouldn't he?
3: <laughs> he would be the worst DM because he would hold to every rule exactly as written yeah and that would just become very quickly unbearable
0: Dobby would take over the game
3: that's very possible no I, I think Carrot would be very happy playing a druid oh, that's a probably true a dwarf yeah. druid yeah. Yeah. yeah and actually the rules of B&D are why he couldn't be the GM because he would want to follow the rules that's how everyone is having the same interactive fantasy experience but this book says that dwarfs are four feet tall and not all dwarfs are four feet tall all right um
2: all right i have the next book up Um, great the last hero a discworld fable gets a proper subtitle cohen the barbarian he's been a legend in his own lifetime he can remember the good old days of high adventure when being a hero meant one didn't have to worry about aching backs and lawyers and civilization but these days he can't always remember just where he put his teeth So now, with his ancient yet still trusty sword and new walking stick in hand, Cohen gathers a group of his old, very old, friends to embark on one final quest. He's going to climb the highest mountain of Discworld and meet the gods. It's time the last hero in the world returns what the first hero stole. Trouble is, that'll mean the end of the world, if no one stops him in time. I am I am seeing here that it looks like that this is illustrated in some way?
0: Yeah, it's an illustrated novel. It's it's an interesting one.
2: Okay, so I should be ordering the physical one for this? I would recommend it, honestly. Mhm. Okay.
1: I'm not sure that I've actually read this one. I have Ooh. no memory of it. It was very uh, easy It's to an miss. interesting one. My my husband has brought Hello baby.
0: So before we say goodnight, uh, not that you need our help promoting anything, but is there anything that our listeners should be on the lookout for you uh, around the end of February?
3: Around the end of February, we are going to be just barely ahead of the release of Spelunking Through Hell, A Visitor's Guide to the Underworld, which is the 11th encrypted book. Um, I know that's a terrifying number, but y'all are Discworld fans. You're not afraid of numbers. (laughs) Uh, It is the 11th encrypted (laughs) book. It is the book that, I said I wanted to write when I proposed writing this series, so it's been a long journey to get there. And I would really appreciate it if you would give it a look. If you haven't read Encrypted, the first book is Discount Armageddon. It has a very scantily clad woman on the cover, which some people find problematic and I find perfect because it looks exactly like she has presented the text.
0: Awesome. Uh, and where can folks find you on on uh, the internets? Or do you want them to find you on the internets is the question. If
3: you can spell my name, you can find me. I am pretty much the only Shannon that is not a sheep farmer in Ireland or a homestuck character. Um, I mostly hang out on Twitter where I yell a lot. You can also find me on Tumblr where I yell about different things. But I will not tag pictures of Disney princesses or frogs which are two things people have asked me to tag that I just can't remember and thus refuse to tag on general principle. I am also on, actually, that's pretty much the only places that I'm functionally on. I'm on TikTok, but only for the purposes of sending endless DNB videos to my friends.
0: Well, it was a distinct pleasure to have you on uh, and a, pretty much, quite honestly, an honor uh, considering the amount of awards on your shelf and your connection to to the author that
3: our podcast is reading (laughs) that looked painful Uh, thank you so much for having me i love this world it has a very special place in my heart and i miss terry desperately
1: thank you so much for joining us this was wonderful
0: yeah thank you The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the fair use doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it. Please share it, but say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at Etuin Pod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D, or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com.